Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The show that shows you what's behind the collar. How's it going? Good. We for Vicar and I are a little... Of course, you know what? I always say this. We're a little weary, but VBS week is always exhausting. Yeah. In a good way, though. It was a lot of fun. What was your What's your favorite VBS memory, Pete? Having you tear your hair out nightly, having to produce a show. Oh, yes, Captain Creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sometimes I think you, you don't understand what I'm, what I'm doing, and then I remember that you had to do daily, like, 30-minute episodes of something for a week. Video. In video, editing yeah, it on a computers that weren't ready, ready for that because that was like eighteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you know my pain a little bit, right? Well, I actually was recording on a tape that I would have to transfer the mm-hmm. tape over to the computer. Yeah. Let's Jeez. Um, so yeah, you you know what what you're putting me into because we're recording on Saturday morning, the day before it goes out. Right, and and, that, and and when you when you watch, maybe sometime we'll have to post something on Captain Creation. But when you watch it, I, I look at it and say, "How did I not know that I had ADD?" Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, what do you got to, to drink there, Vicar? Pure Leaf unsweetened iced tea. Now I've got I've got a Fresca. I was feeling the Fresca today. What do you got? I've got sneak energy as usual. This is a uh, grape flavor. I think they call it like grape crush or something. Yeah, some for some reason crush is supposed to uh anything with the word crush is supposed to be good for thirst. It crushes your thirst. I mean, it's fine. Well, everybody knows my fondness for an ice cold fresca. That's one of my theories, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, how many people just say I hate fresca? Probably no How one. many people have had Fresca? I don't know. And uh, I, I kind of, but I also have a fondness for Tab. I don't think they make that anymore. Tab is not good. <laughs> it's like a cola bubble gum. It was awesome. Ugh. So, uh, Vicar, what am I preaching on? Well, it's the fourth Sunday after Trinity, and the gospel reading is Luke. Chapter 6, verses 36 to 42. Jesus said, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. 
All right. What I've done is I have <clears throat> a uh, to get our discussion on this text. I actually did a top twelve, not sermon ideas because they're not that complete. They're not like sometimes you know how I'll do like a, a sermon sermon theme sentence. And I have twelve right. of them. Mm-hmm. This is just thoughts on the text. Okay. All right. And I think some of them could be themselves turned into a sermon, but just thoughts I had on it. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Number 12. This passage uh, includes uh, the only verse of those outside the church that they know. (laughs) It's like the atheist gospel in a nutshell. Which is that? Uh, Don't judge. Judge not, you will, and you will not be judged. Right. Why would I? Why would I call that the the atheist gospel in a nutshell? The only verse they seem to know, because they don't want Christians to judge them for their life. Right. Is in other words, this says to them, "Oh yeah, there's no way I'm not judged. There's no nothing that can judge me, and you can't say anything about it because doesn't the Bible say, "Judge not, and you will not be judged." Yes. The atheist gospel. Am I wrong? I mean, tell me I'm not the only one who's heard that from people. No, I mean, I hear that all the time. The thing that bothers me is they still turn around and judge the other side. You know, Well, only, they don't believe in the Bible. They just know you yeah, do. Right. <laughs> right? So yep. they don't have to follow that platitude because they don't believe in the Bible. But you... Right. This is what your Bible says. Right. Good point. Right. So, so, uh, so that's the, so... You know, just like when we try to to argue a f- from their point of view, they don't like that. But so, yeah, it's it's really this has become the atheist gospel in a nutshell, especially when it's taken out of context. Number eleven. This passage makes no sense without makes no sense if you don't understand that God's word is authoritative and inerrant. Why would I say that? Hmm. Well, you have to believe it is the word of God. Um, you might have to elaborate a little bit. All right. So if the, if the whole thing is, if Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged, if God's word is authoritative and you believe the Bible is the word of God, who actually then is doing the judging? God. God. Yep. So, uh, so if that's the case, if you are judging, in a sense, according to God's word, well, that's God's word doing the judgment. That's why, um, you know, a pastor always stands by the word of God, because, you know, you're not, don't argue against me, argue with, with what Christ has to say, argue with the Ten Commandments, you know, um, and that that's something that pastors should always bear in mind. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I was at one of our ministerial meetings way, way back when, when I, when I used to go, and, um, <laughs> and uh, they're thinking about building a casino in Franklin County, and all the pastors went up in arms, we don't want a casino in Franklin County, we don't want this, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to, we want to have an ad in the newspaper uh, that says, Franklin pastor ministerials are opposed to us building a casino in Franklin County. And uh, I asked them, by what authority do we have that? 
and they were like, what do you mean? Well, are they just supposed to listen to us because we're the religious leaders and we say no? <laughs> and and so I said, certainly we can, you know, as someone who believes God's word, because not everybody did, um, as someone who believes God's word, don't you think we should actually just say, here's what some Bible passages say about it? Right, here's what God says about right. gambling. And- right. Um, and uh, and and because there's not really st- strong passages, I mean, there's all sorts of things that gambling gets into, you know, and uh, I'm not concerned about, you know, someone playing penny shots, penny slots or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But my point was, it was kind of a foreign idea for them. To, they thought everyone should listen to us because we're the pastors. When... Is that our authority just because we have that title? Are we there because of God's word? So, so that explain it? It does. And, and that, that came up um, in the James Bible study too about judging. And we looked at the Sermon on the Mount a little bit. But same thing about putting yourself in the place of God when it's God who is the judge. And that also then not only goes for how we deal with others mm-hmm. as a church— but it also goes to the individual, because uh, most sin makes perfect sense. We always look at our own sin and say, "Well, certainly this isn't that wrong. God won't judge me for that," you know, because for whatever reasons we make. But this teaches us, well, what is God's? That is authoritative, and it also keeps pastors, uh, you know, always get in trouble. We always get in trouble when we try to push things that aren't necessarily a scriptural uh, angle, you know, that's... What this too reminds me of is that the church doesn't need to be made a bigger target than it already is. Being a hypocrite, per se, puts a bigger target on the church, and it's important to avoid that when possible. Right. Number 10. God commands the church to speak... On his behalf. So, mm-hmm. so in other words, as you look at the judge not lest you be judged, we also have Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go show him his fault. You have uh, John chapter 20, where he breathes on disciples and says, Rece- receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. Certainly, Scripture places in the hands of the church the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that people know exactly what they say. But it's not us judging. When someone comes uh, to a pastor confess- confession and confesses their sin and they hear the forgiveness, is it the pastor forgiving them? Is it the pastor's forgiveness that they receive? Nope. No, it's Christ, according to God's word. And so, certainly, God actually commands the church to use that word, his word, to be the standard by which all things are judged. Number nine. This passage, random thought. Uh, comes right after God's command to love your enemies. And so this is a a reflection of love, part of this passage, Mm -hmm. and to love enemies and to pray for your enemies, which actually brings me to number eight. Number eight. If you find yourself having trouble praying for someone and their well-being, it's a you problem. What do I mean by that? It's a heart issue that you can't forgive as we are called to do. 
you're still dwelling in your sin about anger for whatever reason and judging. Actually, that's one of my first go-to moves between you and me is when, when someone says, well, I'm having really trouble with someone. I asked, sometimes I'll ask, uh, I'll say to someone, well, can you pray for them every day, each day? Try it for a couple of weeks. And if they wince at that, mm-hmm. that's telling, right? Right. right. <laughs> How can I, when I, I'm not done being mad at them or... And I've pointed out in confirmation and Bible study, the Lord's Prayer is placed right before communion where we are promising to forgive as we're being forgiven. Yeah, many believe that the Lord's Prayer is a Eucharistic prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, it's given with the idea of receiving the Lord's Prayer, or the Lord's Supper, excuse me. Number seven. This passage only is understood in faith and with the gospel. This is what turns our hearts to others. In other words, any kind of works righteousness that we might have blows this text up. Because you don't stand on your works righteousness, you stand by the grace and mercy of God alone. And if you are in the kingdom of heaven, if you're measured by the blood of Jesus, this is what turns our hearts to others. Our heart is not turned to others by necessarily the command. Our heart is turned to others by the gospel, by understanding, be merciful as God is merciful to you. Forgive as God has forgiven you. All those things show us that that uh, God, in a sense, measures us according to his gospel, and that is what turns our hearts to others. And, and so this passage can only be understood in the gospel. So go back to my point 12, how it's, in a sense, the gospel of the atheist, judge not lest you be judged. They're coming at it without an understanding of what? The gospel. The gospel. They come at it viewing as those who are speaking to them as their enemies. This goes at it in an understanding you talk to others not as their enemies, but out of love, out of care. And, that, and, and to know that if you're doing this so that you get into heaven, works righteousness, you, you are going to miss the boat. You, you're going to start to—you're not going to be able to take that log out of your own eye uh, because that log is saving you, so to speak. It uh, Only in the gospel can you truly, truly understand it, which is why it falls apart, especially when it's strictly taken as a, go- a law text. Because this is speaking to that you may understand your forgiveness, God's mercy towards you, that you yourself are saved, and that you cling to the mercy and grace of God alone as you approach all of these situations. That, that uh, you... Uh, live each day, each moment, each breath by grace alone. And that changes in how you view others as you seek them to understand God's grace. Speaking of viewing others, I think a few years ago, people would look at a text like this and just think of just people out there, you know, not very close to them maybe. But now I think these people are in our own families, even in our own houses sometimes, that we have families being divided more and more every day, and we even all could say we know some non-believers now and have to live with them or around them, you know, work, school, all these things. Yeah, I mean, I think that was something 
I taught you a little bit about uh, your uh, your sermon last week on the lost sheep, mm-hmm. where, uh, um, you know, we like to think, oh yeah, I was the lost sheep that God saved, yes, but this also should teach you to be concerned about not to view a lost lamb, a lost sheep as an enemy, but as someone who needs God's grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. Number six. This passage exposes our idols, especially when we consider how and why we are offended by others. I want you to internalize that for a minute. <laughs> this passage exposes our idols, our false gods, especially when we consider how and why we are offended by others. So I'm trying, can you think of an example where this could play out? Oh, um, you could think of someone like me might think of vegans. <laughs> I'm not offended though very easily, but right because well, like <laughs> when you talk to someone who, in a sense, has a, a log in their own eye, right, and you really kind of get the heart of what's bothering them, you'd be surprised how often it comes down to my feelings were hurt, or uh, or deep down it has to do with like money, <laughs> mm-hmm. or how it has to do with pride. And uh, all these things, when you count, when you you look at it, and like there are reason why we would be angry at our enemies or angry or want you know you need to repent and all these things. If you really look closely, you can really see in these in your own offense as you dig deeper. Why were you offended? It, it's because you're dealing with your own idols. You're dealing whether it, I have pride is a big one. Um. Uh. You know, you you humiliated me, or, um, or uh, all sorts of ways. You can, if you really delve into it, right? And you're saying, well, what is the defense? What keeps me forgiving? What keeps me from praying for enemies? What keeps me being for merciful? What keeps my anger? Ultimately, when you really look at that, you can really see who your own idols really are. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and the other side of some of this would be uh, lacking in trust mm-hmm. for God's care and provision for you and and your loved ones when you let other things bother you to the point of sin. Right, right. So, so because I, I actually, you know, when I think of those things that really bother me sometimes, or I, that I get upset about things, I, it leads to me to think, well, why, why does that make me mad? And and usually I can find something in me, not in the other person. I want to find the other person, what's wrong with them first. But when I find offense and angry, and I really delve into why does that make me angry? Why does that make me upset? I can usually find something. Oh, I can see what my idol is there. Yeah, that's the log in your own eye. Something for the listener to think about. Number five. The mercy of God changes how we approach uh, those outside the church. And uh, it teaches us to be open and honest with them. In other words, uh, we don't say, in the, as, as Christians, well, we want you to be like me, which is how often they hear it, right? Well, why do I want to be like you? You know, you don't have anything, you're don't have in things in order like you should. And this actually gives you a chance to be open and honest and say, well, 
you know, I, I live by this grace and mercy too. I need it just like you need it. Um, and because I think people, why do I want to be like you? Why are you trying to make me to be like you? And it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with Christ and his forgiveness. Um, this is why I think um, when it comes to uh, talking to someone who is uh, um, considering the faith, why the, uh, the personal testimony kind of falls flat. Like, what it does is it, you're talking to someone and says, well, this is what it did for me. Look at how awesome I am now. I used to do these things, and now I don't. I used to be this way, and now I'm not. And look at you. You can make that same transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not how this text approaches it. it. It allows you to be open and honest and say, uh, I am a sinner too. Uh, I need this every day too. And and it starts with that open and honest discussion of of the need for forgiveness for all of us that I think is disarming when you're talking with them. Um, you're not trying to make them to be like you, but you're you're trying to that trying to teach them uh, the peace of the gospel, where forgiveness is. Right. If I look at this passage when I preached it younger, I. When I was younger, I'd probably focus on the judge not, lest ye be judged, in kind of a self-defense type of anger, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, focusing on the atheist gospel type of a thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that now as I get older, I really probably appreciate more the understanding of really looking at it and asking the, the listener, what are your idols? Because that, that whether you have someone outside of the church or inside the church, that's something they need to hear. Number four. Uh, As always, faith clings only to the mercy of God and not to your own works. And that's what this passage does. When you have a log in your own eye, what do you need? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And you approach everything by the grace of God. You approach everything by the fact that I'm saved, not by my own works, but by the baptism of our Lord Jesus that gave me. He washed me clean. He made me a member of his everlasting kingdom. And, and because of that, because of that, then you take this text on with that understanding. And, uh, and that, I think, changes. You know, Luther's very good at this when looking at all sorts of texts like this. Going back to faith, what is faith? It's trust in Christ alone, mm-hmm. and uh, it clings to His goodness, not on yourself. And this whole passage, if you're someone who's clinging to the mercy of God, that it's all going to make per- a lot more sense. You know, the measuring stick. You know, if you're clinging to something other than the mercy of God, and you're going to take your member, your measuring stick. Well, this is how I measure myself, and you're going to place it to others, and it's going to be a conflict. So it always has to be by the mercy of God. Number three. This is a stern warning to pastors. We have a few pastors listening out there. The thought number three is to you, pastors. How can you lead to repentance when you yourself are impenitent? Harsh words, yes. Harsh words that I think pastors sometimes need to hear. Uh, Harsh words where... 
uh, pastors can be so worried about the sins of others that they forget to take care of themselves. That's the last verse here. You hypocrite. First take the lock out of Right. And so pastors in faith take those words of warning to heart, right? Uh, this is a warning to pastors, especially if you're, you're pastor dealing, you're dealing with conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a pastor who's offended sometimes at the members of your congregation, what should you do? I would suggest by this text of taking the, your offense, delving it in to see who your idols really are. Number two. When God measures you, he does so according to the blood of his own son. That is by which we are measured. We bear the blood of Christ Jesus, his perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because I've preached about the gospel and about faith, but I haven't yet had that clear point to make sure that's understood. You know, God measures you by the blood of his own son. Um. And that's what leads us. And number one. The mercy of Jesus changes how you see your enemies. Which is something we already talked about with the, right. the lost sheep or the lost coin. Someone who needs Jesus too. Right. So those are my top 12. Anything you'd like to add, Vicar? <clears throat> um, when I was teaching... Bible study this year, a lot of times when we'd come up to things like that could look like law, like be merciful, judge not, uh, condemn not, uh, forgive, give, all these things, I try to remind that they are fruits of faith, actually. They, are, they do stem from love and um, knowing in, that you are forgiven and loved too, and they're fruits of the gospel, not your works. Yeah, that's a good point because we say, oh, I, I believe the gospel. I believe the gospel. I am 100% behind the gospel. And But then if a passage like says this says, well, that's you're a little overconfident in that. <laughs> right? Yeah. That, uh, that That's part of the Christian life is to always being, you know. And it takes humility, doesn't it, to forgive mm-hmm. when you don't want to. Well, that's also being meek, as Jesus calls us to be, like he was. And this text actually places the whole thing on you. Are you upset? Are you angry? Are you mad at your neighbor? Where's the first place you should look? At yourself. Yeah, at yourself. <laughs> Humility and meekness always comes up with these things. With So as I finish out my test, I'm kind of leaning towards that whole idol discussion. What do you think? I think it puts people on the spot, and they start to measure up. Where, what are my idols? And they start making a list, which is a good good mm-hmm. thing for them to yeah. to think about. All right, so uh, so I was on a podcast. What's the name of this podcast? I thought we could kind of go through and discuss it a little bit. What, what's the name of the podcast that you were on? Yeah, it was called "Set Apart: Cultivating a Culture That Raises Up Church Workers." So I thought it would be something to to talk about what I find interesting about it is the fact that uh, I recorded my interview while I was in the, the luxurious talks and tasting studios. And if you listen, you can tell that I got into talks and tastings mode right away (laughs) and they weren't prepared, prepared for it. To be clear, we should be clear. This is a podcast called the coffee hour. 
and then they're doing a series right now that is set apart to serve. Right. So, uh, so, uh, before we play it, I want to give them their their due diligence. So it's the coffee hour set apart to serve, and uh, that's from KFUO. It's a KFUO show, uh, and you can find it anywhere where you find your podcasts. Also, KFUO.org. Uh, should be available for you there. So, all right, thanks, Pete. I kind of like that music. Don't worry, be happy. Kind of. You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth, and I'm he, Pastor Carl Bullhagen. <laughs> That's what that's what made me I like I think they did that once and I like and I did it again. And just because I, I'm so used to it, I'm Bullhagen, I'm Berg. That I hear I'm I got into Yeah, yeah. Room. It's like it's an interview show, but you were just pretending you're a host. Yeah, that came up quick. Right. <laughs> they didn't say and we have with us today. <laughs> right. Right. I just jumped right in. Yeah. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. And I'm he, Pastor Carl Bullhagen. <laughs> How's that? That's fantastic. We are continuing our series of Set Apart to Serve. We're talking with church workers and laity alike about encouraging young people and really people of all ages to consider church work vocations. And we are going to Iowa today to continue the conversation. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Carl Bullhagen, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Hampton, Iowa. Pastor Bullhagen, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Thank you. Thank you. What kind of coffee are you having today? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I tried to to make it into the Clerical's podcast a little bit. I'll be honest. That did you is try a fantastic or did you question. Just happen to do it. It sounds like it, you weren't even trying. It just was your you've done just snap. Just like I, I got, I sat behind the microphone and got. Into I think this is a, episode one hundred and seventy-one. So you've done it, you know, that many times, and you sit down <laughs> for something that's not that, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Let me just ask what you're drinking. Actually, I think I might have done that on a Zoom meeting once. <laughs> that speaks to the uh, what do you happen today? You know, habitus, right? right? Do something. Do you find yourself referring to yourself as Bullhagen in other contexts? <laughs> no, not no, I don't. Hi, I'm Bullhagen. I have had people, for some reason, uh, who go to the other uh, to the Church of Latimer, who I could tell they listen. So they say they call me Bullhagen, and they say I mean Pastor Bullhagen. <laughs> you you find the same thing with Berg too, right? Like when Berg was around, still especially people like, oh yeah, let me go talk to Berg. Well, <laughs> Pastor Berg, sorry. <laughs> well, it's called the Coffee Hour, right? And they seem surprised that I was asking what kind of coffee they were having. Yeah, it seems like a natural question. They should have some cool sponsors for coffee too, right? You know, I hope they're not just drinking Folgers or something. Thank you. What kind of coffee are you having today? That is a fantastic question. Since we're recording today, it's a little later in the morning, Sarah. Do you, are you, Sarah, are you doing coffee or water? Well, right I have now? water in this, but I have cold brew waiting for me at my desk. Ooh, there you go. Brew. That's I'm a great. A cold brew kick since it's 100 degrees outside. I have switched to from not. I like coffee once in a while, not every day. But golden milk is my new <gasps> favorite. Golden milk is so good. It's fantastic. What's golden milk? Anybody know? Do you, I don't know, man. Uh, some kind of latte. It's got it's, it's got it's turmeric. Got, oh, and it's like fancy oils. Essential oils? 
milk, coffee, and spices loaded with antioxidants. I wonder what that costs a cup. Do you think like six to eight dollars a cup? It's it seems like the kind of coffee just intended to make you regular, like so yeah, did you notice how I just kinda went that kind of question just kinda opened things up? Yeah. Anyways. All right, let's continue. But golden milk is my new favorite. <gasps> golden milk is so good. It's fantastic. <laughs> Although it's not really the season for it. It's a little little hot out there <laughs> yeah. here in St. Louis. So, Cold golden milk. <laughs> Pastor Bullhagen, <laughs> what's your go-to? Are you having coffee today? Um, today, I I have an energy drink from Aldi. <laughs> Red Thunder. That is not coffee. <laughs> That's not coffee. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's cold. This is not energy drink hour. This is coffee hour. <laughs> Well, you never know. By the end, it might be the energy hour. That's right. So I just showed just how infectious ADHD is. Right? Did you notice how they were all business? Yeah. Now they immediately realize that everything is going off the rails and they're just going to go with it. I don't know if you caught that. They said, this isn't coffee. This is an energy drink hour. This is coffee hour. Well, it might be energy hour by the end of this. They know. They've already figured it out. They get it. They're already thinking how many hours of editing it'll take. Yeah. And and something the listener may uh, may understand is I, I I have a pretty light hand when it comes to editing. Pretty much, it's like you guys are talking and whatever. They have all they cut down your talk a lot. So I don't know. We'll see if you as we listen on. Once you get a little deeper well, into conversation, well, they are highly highly professional. <laughs> no, I'm sure. Like it's it's a it's a style choice, right? Like you know we're we're kind of a laid back talk around, hang out, and they're more of a info dump kind of style well you never know by the end it might be the energy hour <laughs> that's right wow. that's true it's gonna be coffee two hour so pastor <laughs> share with us your story how the lord brought you to serve in this vocation in the office of holy ministry as pastor well my dad was a pastor and a professor at the seminary and i really saw how much he enjoyed the ministry he went from serving the parish to teaching at the seminary and then he went back out into the parish because he enjoyed the parish so much. And as a child, I really was impressioned on how much. Yeah, yeah I noticed that. There's yeah, a... you see, like. You know what we should do? We should offer a service to pastors to do that for their sermons. Like. <laughs> Upload it. We'll cut out the. <laughs> Every time you say, um. Right. It's like, I don't remember my sermon being four minutes. My father enjoyed preaching the gospel. And even the times he didn't really enjoy, he found it very rewarding. And to me, that made an impression that actually there is some, it's very rewarding to be able to preach the Word of God, to change lives and souls through the, that Word of God. And, and uh, that's kind of what, how I kind of wind up, wound up being a pastor. If you would have asked me when I was seven years old what I wanted to be, I would have said a pastor, and it kind of streamlined me through the seminary to be a pastor. So, so Vicar, did you find, your dad's a pastor, did right. you find some of those same, now it took you a little later, but did you find some of those same things running through your mind? Yes, and I think he helped a little bit by making me the permanent acolyte sub. So I had to robe up and sit by him quite frequently up there. And then as I, probably in middle school and high school, he'd say, hey, why don't you do the reading today, the Old Testament reading? So he even had me read up there a few times. See, if I would have done that to my boys, that the opposite would have yeah. happened. Am I right, Peter? Absolutely. Do I know, do I know you well enough? Indeed. <laughs> all right so that, that's kind of how it was for me and to me that's one thing i try to do continue to do is to convey that it is a privilege uh, to be a pastor and some days are better than others you know but the fact that 
And, you know, each day I got to give God's word to someone in a really meaningful way. And to me, that's real rewarding. And it helps with those days I don't want to get out of bed, you know. And I think that carries on to others that people may see that as well. Absolutely. As a, a pastor, and you've been a pastor for a while, how would you describe the need for church workers today in our synod? It's pressing because it's hard to be a church without a pastor. And, uh, you know, it's kind of essential to the gig, you know. you God set it up so that we can have pastors who can preach God's word and for people to hear it. If you really think about it, preaching is not just, and I teach this to the vicars, it's not just preaching a sermon, it's preaching a sermon to someone, because it, it involves two things, someone to preach that word and someone to hear that word. I think now at times in culture, we've gone to, well, I can encounter the word on my own, and I can self-diagnose myself with what's going on with my life, what my sin is, and uh, but you really need an outside voice to kind of walk you through. So I've kind of, you talked that a lot about a lot about that on the podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a big difference, for example, between going to a doctor for an ailment or Googling it. And I think we have a tendency to, to think with our spiritual life in the same way. I'm going to wrestle with my spiritual issue. I'm going to think about my sin. I'm going to assume I'm saved for this and this reason. But then there's the, that's different than actually hearing a word outside of yourself, hearing what a pastor says through the office of the keys when he says, your sins are forgiven with the voice of Jesus, or to feed the very body and blood of Jesus to someone that really needs it because that is Jesus' proclamation. And that's not something that individual can do by himself, and that really isn't done very well through an online service either, where there's no real connection, human to connection outside of a screen. You need to hear it with your own ears, and you need to have a pastor who proclaims that word so that you have, without a doubt, know where you stand before God. And, you know, I think we live in a time where everyone wants to self-diagnose and wrestle with these spiritual questions by themselves, and then maybe salt in a little church. How many times do you hear, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a church person? What are they doing? They're self-diagnosing, and they're not really getting to the heart of the issue. And when you have a pastor that's well-trained, who understands what he's doing, who takes a vow, I was at an ordination this past Sunday, takes a vow before God and says, you know, I will treat your sheep with the utmost respect and according to God's word, I will proclaim your word according to the Luther confessions in a way that, that you commanded. And that, that gives an opportunity for everyone to understand where they stand. And that's really hard to do without a pastor, just like it's really hard to get, you know, have all our ailments figured out without a doctor. And, and so the having not only pastors, but church workers also play a role in that in supporting that work and teaching those things. You shared that your father was also a pastor. Any comments on that? I, I think that medical comparison is a, is a good way to explain it to people who haven't thought about it that way before. Right. And I, I mentioned that too with seminary. Some people said, well, why don't you just do the the abbreviated version of the education to become a pastor since you're a little older? And I and I said, well, you wouldn't become a heart surgeon without going to medical school, would you? Mm -hmm. You know, you just can't do that online. Right. So you have to do it right. And how many times, you know, I wish people would tell a loved one, go to the pastor as much as they tell someone to go to the doctor. Right. <laughs> 
right? Yeah, but I like that analogy. It's it's a good one. And a professor and influential in shaping or uh, thoughts about the future mm-hmm. and serving as a pastor. Were there others who were influential or who helped shape you as a pastor or at least your interest and your desire to serve in this vocation? Um. Yeah, I would say I, I have a decent amount of pastors in my family. I have a brother-in-law who's a pastor. I have un- a couple of uncles who were pastors, and they were influential too. But at the same time, I was kind of very self-motivated, kind of like I said, when I was seven years old, you would ask me, I would want to be a pastor. I would say a big thing too would be my own wife. I got through, I was kind of driven to be a pastor. I told my wife's father that I would at least have my bachelor's degree before we got married. And so I got through college and graduated when I was 20, and then I was a pastor at 24. And my wife is a little younger than me, so we, you know, I look, actually today, believe it or not, is the anniversary of my 24th year in the ministry. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I think back, you know, I was 24, my wife was 23. It's almost like we've grown up in this. Actually, I showed you a picture of my ordination not too long ago. I did... Not only was I 24, I looked 17, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I can vouch for that. I've Right now, I've been a pastor half my life. It's hard to think about that way. And so I couldn't do this without the love and support of my wife as we've kind of grown into where we are today and in our life together. So you mentioned you you have vicars in your congregation. Why is it important to to encourage these younger people to to take up these church work vocations so that they can get to the point where they are able to have this vicarage in your congregation? Well, I would say this. To me, the vicarage program is has been wonderful in this way. All of the vicars, the one I have coming in August will be my 19th vicar I've had. And they've all come from all sorts of different walks of life. The one I have coming now is a, was an engineer for a while. And I've had a, one that was a pharmacist for a while. And, it's, and sometimes it's not just the young men who are coming and deciding to be pastors. I would say a, a good portion of them have been second career, where they bring their families to the seminary and they bring their families out again. I was at an ordination of a vicar on Sunday, and there he was, a first-time pastor bringing his five children along. And to me, if to the listener, it's not too late to decide to go to the seminary and consider this work. But I think that has left an impression on the congregation where they see someone who has had his own pharmacy coming to be pastor, where they see they, they left very comfortable lives and very interesting lives and jobs and vocations to, to serve a higher purpose in the seminary and to be a pastor. And I think that has really left an impression on the people here in Hampton, Iowa. Would you like to comment on that since I kind of reference your situation a little bit? Yeah, definitely left some interesting, you know, things. I've told you stories from work and I still get excited about them because they were interesting. Mm-hmm. But you do feel called and in a way this is, you know, God created you for this purpose and that you um, can be a steward of his word and really touch the lives of his sheep. And it's a privilege even just to think about that's what I'm going to get to do. And Vicarage was a good tease about the joy there is in doing that. So, Elaborate on that a little bit more about how having a Vicarage program in your congregation shapes the culture of the congregation and how your congregation views the vocations of church workers. Well, well, for me, 
from a personal standpoint, I can say this, and I, th I think the congregation gets this too. One thing I like about having a vicar is every year I have a young man who comes in and he wants nothing more in life than to do what I'm doing. You know, so when I have, I kind of have the old Adam wanting to be complacent or get frustrated or, you know, to have someone kind of looking over my shoulder saying, wow, this is great. This is best. This is awesome. I can't wait to be a pastor. I can't wait to do what you're doing. That kind of infectiousness spreads to the congregation as well, where, where, well, this guy is so excited to do a Bible study. I better go to it. You know, this guy's, you know, making visits for the first time in, in certain ways. Well, I want to make sure I welcome him to my home and offer him coffee and cookies. And they understand the sacrifices that a lot of these men have come to, to go to the seminary, leaving lives behind. And it allows them to to recognize how much work and dedication it took to be a pastor in the first place. And to me, for the congregation, it really has taught them to respect and understand what a blessing it is to have a pastor and when what they do to become a pastor. We're All right, that's uh, kind of halfway through. Yeah, I think people have a lot to, to think about. And some of your listeners are pastors who are right now hearing an inside view of the vicarage program. Maybe they'll consider it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. And Carl Bullhagen of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hampton, Iowa. Pastor, you mentioned earlier, you've shared how the vicarage program is an important part of your congregation. And that's one part of creating this culture and of uh, in the congregation of raising mm -hmm. up church workers. Are there other aspects of that you think are important to creating a culture that, that encourages young people to consider church work vocations? Yeah, I would say fostering within the people of the congregation, the, a healthy amount of respect and support of their pastor. You know, if you're in a situation where you have children in your car and you're driving home from church, and well, I don't know about that sermon, or pastor's not doing it this way or that way, and there's kind of grumbling about the pastor and how he does things, that does not encourage the children just to think to themselves, well, that's something I want to be. I think having a healthy culture— <laughs> I see you shaking your head, Vicar. <laughs> Well, I think that the the parents are the focal point of helping shape their children for church work. It may not happen without their um, setting that foundation and encouraging it and and speaking positively about it throughout their childhood and and you know showing them by example how to be reverent and respect church right. workers, especially pastors, but also teachers mm -hmm. and other adults and senior members of the congregation kids today don't even know how to talk to the elderly and, mm -hmm. and I, I just think that people don't realize when people adults have children around and they're complaining about all these things what kind of effect that has on their children how right. it kind of breeds in them well mom and dad didn't trust this they didn't like this um it teaches them to when i talk to to uh older members Older members who have a lot of respect for the pastor in the church, they'll tell you, you know, how much respect they had for the pastor and, and how... And how important it was to their mom and dad. Right. And kids, whether it's good or bad, follow their parents a lot of times. I actually worded it with someone this way. Um, you know, because a lot of times I, I, in those situations, I'm dealing with people who, who are older and I, I say, do your kids ever do something that you don't agree with that makes you unhappy? 
They say, oh, yeah, all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how how much does it bother you if so, you hear someone else say that? Well, it bothers me a lot. Why? Because that's my son or that's my daughter. And, uh, well, think about the person that you have at your altar is your pastor. Um, you shouldn't listen to to anger or or all sorts of things. Obviously, if he's preaching against God's word, that's one thing. If he's uh, if he has false doctrine, that's one thing. But we should give the same platitude to others that we would say of our own children. To me, it's extension of do unto others. You know. And for kids, that like you said, that's someone beloved in their inner circle. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's almost like family to them. The pastor is, could be someone they look up to if, unless the parents are talking down about them. Which is which is one thing I do think that parenthood does, for me, it's made me be a better pastor because I recognize that everyone I'm dealing with is someone's mother or daughter or son or sister or brother. Mm-hmm. Um. Which changes your perspective because you show you know how much you care for your own children and, and worry about them. Not Peter ever, but <laughs> but uh, that that really changes that. I don't know why, but I'm reminded that uh, I I heard or read that Luther first encouraged all Christian families first try to encourage your sons to be pastors. If that's not going to work out then there's other ways to encourage them. But start with that. And if you do start with that now by talking positively about your pastor to your kids, mm-hmm. you might be able to plant some seeds and come back and water that a little bit. Right. Right. Especially if they have a great example to look up to. And this is something I think they had 50 years ago where where families would say, you know, having a pastor of the family was like having a doctor or a lawyer or, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's continue on. Thinking about the pastor and how he does things, that does not encourage the children just to think to themselves, well, that's something I want to be. I think having a healthy culture and within a congregation that, that, that understands and respects what the pastor does and holds the word of God in high honor as a true high calling is way. But I think simply having a place where the children hear positive things about the pastor and what he's doing and has a long way of, of helping people get into that situation. If it's constant complaining or irritation or all those things that the children hear, they're not going to think, well, well, that's what I want to (laughs) do. Yeah. How do you play a role as pastor or how do pastors in general play a role in, in helping to shape how the congregation and how the children think about these church work vocations and, and with that encouragement to maybe consider them in the future? I would say the first thing is to be active in their lives, you know, be visible in teaching the kids in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and, and being very impactful in how you teach them in confirmation and even youth group. I think that kind of work in shaping their lives where they can see, well, I want to be able to shape the lives of other people as well. You know, if you, for example, if you talk to someone who, who wants to be a teacher Every teacher will say, well, I was greatly influenced by when I was in high school, this English teacher really made an impact on my life and really taught me to look at the world in this way. Uh, I think 
that kind of inspiration to do things also reflects. And if you ask someone who is a pastor, well, well, how is that we decided? And it'd be, well, I had this one pastor who kind of was helped me go get through a difficult time or was very influential at me at at a difficult time. And it kind of inspired me to kind of pass it forward to be a blessing in that way. Where do you find those opportunities for conversations or encouraging particularly youth to consider church work? Well, there's, you know, I think simply saying, you know what? I think you would be a good pastor. Saying to someone, you know, I really appreciate, like you see, notice, you know, someone showing an act of kindness or showing a, a time of leadership or willing to voice what they believe according to God's word to say, wow, you did that very well. You know, you would make a good pastor someday, you know? And a lot of times they'll, they'll kind of shake that off and say, yeah, but, but I do think, you know, when they're young to get them to consider it, when they're little to get them consider it, to consider it, because I do think when we're young, that's when we shape a lot of our attitudes about things and we shape a lot of our outlook on life. And to do that when you're young and to have parents say, you know what, you should consider this. We need pastors. I think to me, that would have a huge impact. Even I talked about second career pastors and vicars. They were thinking about it when they were younger too. It's just, they weren't sure if they were ready or they were. Go ahead, Vicar. Um, he was talking about, or you were talking about shaping from, you know, childhood and encouraging people saying you'd be a good this or that. We've kind of taken that approach with one of our kids, just that she would be a good teacher with the skills she has leading, you know, groups of children, which she does even at the seminary when they play, she wrangles them, rounds them up and they seem to follow her mm-hmm. say, man, you would be good at leading a class, you know, and we've been encouraging that. And giving her these ideas, because she has, everybody asks children, what do you want to be? And they have answers that they think people will like to hear, like, well, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a vet, or I want to work at a zoo. Yeah, every kid wants to be a vet at right. some point. <laughs> and then you say, well, you have these skills, you could use them in this setting to the glory of God. Plus, look, teachers can also help coach. You love sports, you could do that. And, and just kind of build on it right. every time you talk about it. Said second career pastors and vicars, they were thinking about it when they were younger too. It's just they weren't sure if they were ready or they weren't sure if it was their time or not. Or they say, I tried running from being a pastor, didn't work out so well. So I came back to the seminary and was 35 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what happened to you? You were, Had you been thinking about it before? Um, <clears throat> yeah. When I have a, a brother-in-law that uh, when I was on my internship, we lived near him. Mm-hmm. For I was still in college, but I was on my internship. And we were joking, saying, you realize one of us is going to become a pastor, if not both, right? We were just saying that, it's, and we said it's just a matter of time, and who will it be? You know, He went to, to the Concordias and mm-hmm. to be a teacher, and I was still in school to be something else, an engineer, and, and we joked about it at that time. So I think I won, or I'm going to win, but... Uh, <laughs> You well, never you know. You got a month yet on Vicarage. We'll see. Yeah, if I pass. <laughs> Most of those guys were thinking about it when they were very young. They just didn't get there until a little later. 
Do you have any examples of how, especially with the vicarage program in your congregation, how those vicars have played a role in showing that example to the young people in the congregation of what it looks like to have pastoral formation? It's been interesting in that I've been, since I've been doing this a long time, you know, I have kids that were in my Sunday school and, and they go, they are in their early twenties now or, and they think, you know what, this vicar that we keep on getting now they're my age. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of eye-opening for them. But I would say what's interesting about the Vicarage program is each one connects to people differently. And one will connect more with one age group more than another, or will reach out and have personal connections with people in a different way. And so it's interesting how over the years, you know, some will have a real connection to one vicar and then a next vicar come and someone else will have a real deep connection with them. I think that kind of variety has been interesting and in how people view uh, uh, the pastors. Another thing is, too, is when a vicar is ordained, so when they go back to their sem- seminary and then they're called and placed, uh, we have a good number of people who will travel to wherever the ordination is so they can be there. We had about 20 people travel to the ordination that we had on uh, Monday. We've had people travel all the way to Wyoming from Iowa. We've had people, we've won a couple of years, we took we chartered a bus where people piled into a bus and, and arrived at the ordination. We had more people from our own church at the ordination than their own congregation. Um, so to me, that itself has a way of really influencing people and in how they think of what a pastor does. Could you imagine? I'd what, do it. <laughs> but, but I'm thinking as the vicar. <laughs> right. You know, as the seminarian to have that kind of support, what a difference that would make. Looking out there and seeing all, seeing a whole busload of people from your vicarage congregation show up for your ordination. It's your tribe now. Yeah, <laughs> and like, claimed you. And it's a, and it's kind of a shot in the arm for the congregation to, that he's being placed in. Like, wow, you know, this whole busload thinks a lot of this guy. Maybe we should listen to him. You know, yeah, giving him <laughs> certainly some credibility that mm-hmm. these people value just the one year that they had with him, value him after one year, and here we get him as our called pastor. Wow. There's a, there's another thing that I enjoy doing with the, doing with the vicar the last few years is we have a, actually a podcast. It's called Clerical Heirs Podcast. Hey. Kind of play on the words. <laughs> I, had to, I had to plug it, right? Yeah. Did I, did I force it in or just seem kind of natural? No, it seemed perfect to me. They didn't edit it out. So. No. I actually asked if it was okay before the interview if I did okay. that. <laughs> and it's almost like a, what I wanted to do in this podcast was kind of mirror for people that, you know, talking about faith and talking about church and talking about theology is actually kind of fun. And that's why we call it clerical errors because we say, well, we'll make some mistakes and, you know, we have some almost comedy type things that we do because we enjoy talking about uh, theology and so there's another pastor, Travis Berg, and I, and then we have what we call, sometimes we call it the Vicar app, because, you know, we have a stupid question, hey, Vicar, uh, what does this mean, you know? And so we have uh, our Vicar app 18.0 right now on the podcast, but just a show. And I think that, like I said before, that it's fun to be a pastor sometimes. And I noticed that when I s- sat and visited with pastor, we had some very fascinating conversations, and I thought, you know, people kind of wonder when pastors get together, what do they actually talk about? What's important to them? And and so we kind of use a podcast to show what's behind the collar, what are pastors thinking about? And it's been fun. 
behind the collar is that your other podcast <laughs> well actually yeah. we, we do have say, the, the website Claire Claire's podcast a show that should <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right you what's behind the collar oh boy <laughs> Well, Pastor, as we consider the Set Apart to Serve initiative, encouraging people to consider, especially young people, to consider church work vocations, what do you want that young person in your congregation to know as as they think about church work vocations? I would want them to know, first and foremost, when I think of young people, and I want them first, they got to really want to do it. The climate, uh, you know, if I imagine, say I'm sitting down with a 10-year-old boy, talking about what is going to be... what about being a pastor. So let's do the math. There'll be tw- 16 years, there'll be a pastor. Okay. In 16 years, it'll be the year 2038. Okay. What do you think the world is going to be like in 2038? That's when they're just starting out. What is the church going to look like in 50 years for them? It's going to be a situation where to be a pastor, you're really going to want to want to have to do it. It's not something that you kind of stumble in, well, maybe I'll be a pastor or not. You're going to have to kind of start preparing for it now and be ready for it. And also then, for me, my my concern as a pastor to that child would be their own spiritual welfare first and foremost, because that is essential what leads them as their own past as they do their work. So the first thing is, you know, if someone's really unsure, I don't know if I want to do that or not, don't necessarily force them because... They really are going to want to want to do it, and they're going to really need a passion to do it, because that's what's going to carry them through as they they go through. It's not it's not making my point making clear. If someone's wishy washy about being a pastor, then I think that's the answer. Yeah, right. That's why I've never really I've never placed uh, any pressure on my own children to be pastors. Right, and P- Peter. You and I've right. never. And my dad didn't either, because he he was carrying a cross, and he didn't want somebody that didn't want it or wasn't ready to have to do the same. I think my children knew if it was something that they really wanted to pursue, I'd be behind 100% do everything to make it possible. Yeah. Right? But right. I, I can't be something that I... It can't be imposed by me or pushed by me. It has to be their own, because, you know, that's mm-hmm. it's their life, and... You know, we we need faithful members of congregations as well. So. And it's it's you're entering spiritual warfare. You have to be up for it. Right. It's not going to be easy. Right. Are going to want to want to do it, and they're going to really need a passion to do it, because that's what's going to carry them through as they they go through. It's not something that you just. It's going to be hard for them really hard and it's going to be very difficult. Can you imagine I mean what how do you look, think the church will look like for them in 30 40 years? I mean it's kind of interesting to think about. So so I think sometimes we don't always take the education of our children as seriously as we should. Imagine that the temptations that they have at such a young age now and all the things that are up they're up against. And you know sometimes our education is, you know, you know, let's go have some fun, or let's do this. So, all right, I get a little worried. I think I'm I'm kind of done with. All right, fair enough. That it's just just a minute or two, but uh, any final comments on this? I'm just glad you got to speak about it and and get that out there. It's, yeah, we did actually get a bump in listeners. 
after that. Well, it was a so. good uh, it was a good uh, advertisement. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm running out of gas. <laughs> I need some yellow coffee. Was it yellow milk? What is it? Yeah, golden milk. Golden milk. All right. Well, that's our episode. Uh, Berg's on vacation. Hopefully, we'll get him when he gets back. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may your milk be golden. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.